This is IVP. This is The Disruptors, a podcast from InterVarsity Press about how faith is changing culture in unexpected ways. I'm Nancy Wong Yoon. I'm a sociologist, a pop culture expert, and a professor at Biola University. New eyes that look at the world in new ways. New eyes make contact, blue, green, and gray. New eyes I realized I never knew when you realize feelings you trapped inside of you. New eyes that see the respect you earn. And here's G. <laughs> Just G. <laughs> How are you, G? I'm good, Nancy. I'm excited to hear this interview. So we're going to be listening to Olivia Leung, um, who is the lead actress in Kung Fu. She has been on Legacies. She has been on Grey's Anatomy. Um, and and this <laughs> is her first lead role as, you know, the kind of reboot and and gender bent, um, not race bent because, you know, Kung Fu, she really is Asian this time, not like David Carradine. <laughs> but she's a woman. Bringing it to what it should that's be. That's <laughs> right. That's why, and as a woman. And so, I mean, I just love Kung Fu. Have you watched that, G? husband and I got into it during the pandemic. So awesome. (laughs) Yes. So, so fun. And so I think cathartic for a lot of Asian Americans. So let's take a listen. For our listeners who don't know, Kung Fu was a series that debuted in 1972, starring David Carradine as a mixed Chinese and white character. But of course, David Carradine did not have any Asian heritage and played the character essentially in yellow face. So Olivia, how did you feel rebooting this popular 70s series that starred a white dude playing an Asian? You know, I didn't know a lot about the series because it was a little bit before my time. Um, So the first time that I really heard about this series was it coming into my inbox for an audition. And I'll be honest, my initial reaction to seeing an email that said, audition for role of Nikki Kung Fu. I was like, really? Haven't we gone past this? Aren't we, aren't we done with the trope of the Asian doing martial arts? Um, but upon doing further research into it, seeing that it was a reboot, seeing that we were going to be an all Asian cast, reading the rest of the character breakdowns and just seeing Chinese American, Chinese American, Chinese American all the way down. That's when I got really excited. And I was like, okay, this is different. This isn't a martial arts show because that's all Asians can do. It's going to celebrate the martial art, which is so near and dear to our culture. But we get to be fully formed characters who have lives outside of this, you know, haya that we have so often only done in film and TV. And so I was very, very excited to start um, to dive into that. And then... You know, once I got it and realized what a beloved property it was, not just for um, people who love martial arts, but actually for Asian Americans, it was the, the original was their first time kind of seeing some Asian people in Western media. Um, Shannon, who plays my sister, they shot a lot in Chinatown and her family was one of the first um, families in LA Chinatown. So her grandpa was doing background on the show and, you know, he was so excited about it. So we always say that that show, you know, it wasn't perfect, the original, but it did push the needle forward for a lot of Asian talent. 
And now we're just, you know, we're in 2020, 2021, pushing it a little bit more. Yeah, they're, they're early problematic representations or one-dimensional, um, as you said, the kind of haya kind of things in Western media. But but it kind of, I think it, it did introduce um, maybe something that was completely unfamiliar to Western audiences and then pro- possibly paved the way for Bruce Lee, right, to be able to have a bigger platform. Um, although Bruce Lee, obviously... I mean, you've heard the rumors, right, that Bruce Lee actually pitched Kung Fu yep. or what became Kung Fu. What, what do you think about that? You know, um, if the rumors are true, then it it really sucks. But I, I do try to put myself um, in the shoes of, of like being in the 70s. And I'm like, it's taken so long for us. It, things are just now changing for us now. And it's many, many years later. So I can only imagine how much harder it was for Bruce Lee to do that pitch and then putting myself in the shoes of these white executives and seeing something foreign and not knowing what to do with it. I don't want to say that I empathize, but I do know that different is scary for people. And I'm glad that now differences are celebrated. But, you know, it was a different time back then. And um, I'm just glad that if it is true that it was his, you know, his baby, that we can now be a predominantly Asian cast set in San Francisco, Chinatown to hopefully do it justice. Yeah. And Warrior actually is now, um, Warrior on HBO Max is now um, the kind of realization of that initial. So you have, you have, and that's set, still set in that time of kind of like, I think the early um, 1900s, right? And so, so you have Warrior and you have Kung Fu right at the same yeah, time. Like, Who would have thought that it would be possible? <laughs> And so, yeah, so uh, let's talk about martial arts. So I love, I loved reading how you were, you said that you were only going to learn martial arts if someone paid you. <laughs> so talk to That's me right. a little bit about that. So you didn't know any martial arts before starting this. Zero. My, my, the, the extent of my exposure to martial arts was driving my sister to her Taekwondo classes, which is also <laughs> the wrong martial art, right? But uh, I, yeah, when I was first starting out in the industry, um, things were already changing, you know, um, Crazy Rich was starting to come out and we were seeing the, the, thir- the, the, the desire for diversity in storytelling. But, um, so some of my earlier auditions were still like woman with Chinese accent or, you know, Chinese girl didn't even have a name. And so I would meet with, you know, potential representation and they would say oh do you have a martial arts background and I would say no they would say well you should really maybe get in some classes or try to get that on your resume and I and I was just like why what about me says that I should do martial arts do you tell any other non-Asian clients that they should get martial arts onto their resume and so I kind of made a an internal promise to myself that I was never going to learn martial arts until I was paid to because I was convinced that I didn't need to have it in order to be a successful Asian in this industry. And so um, when Kung Fu came along, I'm very grateful that we have an Asian showrunner who knows that not all Asians know martial arts. So um, needing to know that was not a prerequisite to be able to audition because sometimes that's like that's a gate that in itself is a gatekeeper to Asian Mm -hmm. people. Right. It's like must have martial arts background. And you're like, oh, why? You're going to invest in another actor of a different color getting the training that they need. If they have to do martial arts, why do we have to come knowing our language, knowing the martial art, 
why do we have to, or are there so many more steps for us? And so I was determined to, to not have to have that in order to be successful. And those skills, like you said, ha- knowing like your um, the language of your ancestors, um, it's not like white actors have to know whatever if they're French or <laughs> Italian exactly. or something. Um, and and this, I think this has to do with um, what you're, you know, insinuating is that and not insinuating that sounds bad <laughs> like you're 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 talking about and i totally agree with is that you know this kind of perpetual foreigner right that that asians have to know certain things that are only associated with asia um rather than you should be able to play any um quote unquote all american role right that any other actor since you are american yes exactly yeah, and I think that, you know, it's so significant that you are an Asian woman leading this this reboot. I mean, the original was not just uh, a white dude, but a dude, right? A, a mm-hmm. man. And you are a woman. Um, and so they've decided, um, which is so awesome, to gender bend as well as, um, not gender bend, I guess it's a reboot. It could be it could be anything, right? But that to have an Asian woman um, doing Kung Fu, for me, it was so inspiring to see you um, kicking some butt <laughs> during this time of because it came out right when there was such a surge of anti-Asian hate and anti-Asian yeah. violence and feeling like so much you know, there was so much video of Asian women getting beaten up right mm-hmm. real in real life and then seeing you on screen actually beat up men <laughs> and beat up people it felt like um not that you know we should answer violence with violence but it just felt especially since yours is fictional it felt like empowering for me um how was that for you it was totally empowering for me as well. I think the day that we had our um, first official press junket as a cast um, was the day after the shootings in Georgia, where um, at the massage parlor where Asian women were were slayed. And um, it was chilling for us. It made our show feel so much more timely and important. Like we couldn't have timed it in a more eerie way, you know, that mm. we, our, our showrunner wrote this pilot in maybe 2018. Um, and there were, the fact that it was so poignant in 2020 and 2021 um, was very, very chilling and made us feel, uh, we already had kind of, we felt the heavy mantle of being the only all Asian one hour drama on a network television show. And then it just, it felt even more precious to us that we wanted to not only empower our community, but also be a safe haven for our community. Because in the media at the time that we were premiering was just, we were just covering this anti-Asian hate. And it we were seeing our community be beaten and spat on and thrown gasoline on it and and to be able to then switch to the CW or wherever it was in your country and then see this family who loves each other, um, this girl who is, you know, fighting back, using her voice, standing up against injustice. I think it was a really beautiful um, safe space, I hope, um, for me to be able to play a character like that was bleeding into my personal life as these anti-Asian things were going on and and feeling really empowered by it. But um, yeah, we never would have thought that it would be so um, of the time. 
Yeah, and I love that. Yeah, in the storyline, Nikki fights on behalf of the marginalized in the United States, right? Which was actually, I was surprised. I was like, oh, this is a <laughs> this is not your typical CW show. <laughs> yeah. what I was thinking. I mean, in so many ways, but just that she was really um, looking out for the downtrodden. Like, I think there was the first time she was standing up for a family that was homeless. Was it mm-hmm. like a yeah? And so. Uh, tell me about what was your inspiration for playing like kind of a social justice heroine? You know, I couldn't I I can't say that I took inspiration from my own life um, or my own. Uh, that part of Nikki was totally not part of Olivia because I was so used to being the the passive citizen mm. Because that's how it is for a lot of Asian Americans, you know, that feeling in that limbo of not feeling quite connected to either culture um, and feeling that that alien, that perpetual foreigner feeling. Um, So the fact that Nikki was standing up and using her voice and speaking up and and fighting for these um, underprivileged or underrepresented communities... It, I, it was not something that I could draw from from my own life because I, I don't know what that feels like um, because I've been so passive. So I don't know where it came from. I was inspired by her. And then I was and then I, I guess it just became like Nikki's the girl that I want to be, that I hope to become. And mm. if I were to use my voice, how would that feel? And so that was kind of what was infused into um that part of Nikki's storyline coming from me as an as an actor. Um, and then it, it was so interesting to have that role happen at the same time that these anti-Asian acts were happening because for me, Olivia, the, it was the first time that I fully understood even in a micro way what Black and brown communities in America have gone through because it was the first time for me that I was like, Oh, solely based on the way that I look, someone wants to hurt me. Someone thinks that I am unwelcome, dirty, diseased, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, wow, I've just unlocked a a new level of empathy for this community. And then I'm, I'm glad that our show tried to bridge the gap between communities of color and tried to show solidarity rather than, um, like a chasm between us. Yeah, and I would argue just you embodying that role, you are doing that work, right, representationally, because I know so many, I mean, I I spoke to a a journalist about, um, at length, actually, about how the show really gave us... um, just some, you know, even if it is fictional, it just just the visual of it being able to see Asian women on screen. So not just you, but Zulan, even though she's, mm-hmm. I guess, the villain, but even, you know, your your mentor, like three Asian women, like just being powerful and and being able to wield physical prowess yeah. <laughs> was something that was just a um, it was a was a bomb, you know, during that time. Yeah. So your yeah. work as an actor is is vital for for the community thank you i think it's our our showrunner is an asian american woman and so that's a testament to the strong asian female characters that she's written not just the ones like nikki jalan and paling who who physically fight but the character of althea who comes out about her sexual assault 
and decides mm. to speak up on it. And, oh, I just got chills because like that in itself is is a way to fight back. She's fighting as well. And so, you know, it's it's incredible the 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 breadth of like Asian women being strong in their own ways. You know, May Lee, my mom, being a restaurant owner in Chinatown and holding down the fort and, you know, at home. And it, it's just incredible. I love to see all of these strong Asian women in who are strong in their own ways. Yeah. And and for your um, your sister's character to not just kind of it was over several episodes, right, that she decided to actually um, speak out. And I really appreciated that because that showed the more more of the reality of what what happens if you are a victim of sexual assault, sexual harassment. It's not like, you know, just because you don't speak up right away doesn't mean that you're not a hero, hero, right? Because sometimes just enduring and surviving is is heroic. And then for her to then over several episodes, you know, finally come. And I think it was because she saw that the 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 sexual harassment can continue on and, and you know, and affect other Asian women. And so she, then she finally decided to speak up, right? And totally. I, I totally relate to that, even in my, in my personal life, in my personal experience, just having, having been a, a survivor myself and just, yeah, it was, Again, not your typical CW. Yeah. It just there were so many great, um, yes, yeah, and very authentic um, female-centered issues that um, that weren't just easy topics. Yeah. So and and even Zulan and you know I think her as a villain she you start to recognize her backstory and you start to empathize with her and why she and then I mean I don't want to give any spoilers but by the end of the the first season I actually wasn't even sure if she was a villain you know right. and and her connection with you and and just all of that I was like what is going on here everyone everyone is like so complex I loved it yeah yes yes because <laughs> it's easy to then put her. As like the dragon lady, right? Mm -hmm. um, and she really wasn't that. So I really appreciated that. So yeah, credit to our writers, man. They and, and tell tell me know. about your writers. Is it also a, a inclusive writing room as well? Totally. Um, our showrunner always she, she's always in shock because she's she worked on Lost and she's been in so many writers room where she was the only woman or the only person of color, and then to be a woman of color, you know that whoa, who are you? So she made it a point to make it the most diverse writer's room she's ever been a part of. So, you know, we've got everyone represented somehow. Um, and it's just special. You can just feel it in the in the writing as we're reading the scripts. It's, it's so layered and deep. And um, there have been so many times as a cast where we've read a script and we've been like, oh my gosh, I feel seen in this moment. How do mm -hmm. they know? Oh, right. It's because they they know. They get it. They were there. They've been through it. And so um ah it's just I'm I'm just so proud that that not only are we diverse in front of the camera, but behind the camera as well in the writer's room through a storytelling aspect. Yeah, I, I it's very actually authentic in terms of Chinese American or Chinese and Chinese American culture. And she's Korean American, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So so how does that how does she does she do research? What what do you know what the process and especially and for you all to be I think the cast is Chinese American, right? Or no, yes. not all of you. All of you? Most of us, yeah. Most, uh, we're yeah. all different types of Chinese American, which is very cool and I guess a, a season 2 spoiler, we just shot this scene that is so dope. It starts in Mandarin, 
speaking on the phone to someone. We don't understand their dialect, so we pass it to someone who speaks Cantonese in our house, and then it doesn't work, and then we pass it to someone who speaks Hakka, which is like, <laughs> what other show are you going to see three different Chinese dialects represented within the span of 35 seconds? It was so cool. But yeah, most of our cast is is Chinese-American. And I think Christina, our showrunner, is so good about knowing when to step back because there is a general Asian-American experience, right? That That's undeniable. Um, whether or not, no matter what type of Asian you are, there is a an inherent experience that we've all had as Asians in America. And so she speaks to that part of it really well. She knows what it means to be the, the Asian-American. And then when it comes to nuances of being Chinese-American, we have Chinese-American writers in the writer's room. But she also really gives us a lot of freedom. So sometimes on set, if something doesn't feel right, if it's a a, a tea that we're like, no, I think that feels Googled, then we'll just be like, we're going to change it to this because we all know what this is. And she's like, great, do it. So um, she really has made it feel like a collaboration. Um, and she's not this like elusive showrunner who is like our boss and who can perhaps fire us at any moment but um, she really makes herself available and she knows when when to step back and say well I can't speak to that I'm gonna let you guys speak to it was that the tea for the tea ceremony is that the tea you no, were talking so about originally in episode five there was a tea um called like Lapsong Sochong and um none of us knew what that was and so when we eventually shot it Shannon, who had to say the line, she decided to say Chiu Hua Ta. And like, mm. we all know chrysanthemum tea. They serve it at dim sum. So we were like, yeah, say Chiu Hua Ta. And then to my to our point, my mom later, when she watched that episode, she was like, I can't believe you guys said Chiu Hua Ta on television. So it was very exciting. But that's kind of a way that um, that she steps back. And, but I think for the tea ceremony, that's probably more traditional. And so we try to stick to those things. And then it speaks to, you know, for me personally, I don't know a lot of the traditions of China or Taiwan or wherever my family is from. And so um, I think it's beautiful to sometimes not know what's going on and to be like, because that, that speaks to an experience that we have as well. There's a lot of Mandarin spoken on the show. And that's also kind of revolutionary, right? Again, a network show where there's uh, there's actually times when your dialogue is entirely in Mandarin. What, what is that experience? Like your Mandarin, by the way, is very good. Thank you. My mom <laughs> will um, disagree, but I, I accept. <laughs> it was Chinese school worked. Um, it was exciting. It was a little scary um, because, you know, you want to do it right. And... You would hope that this show is not only watched by us in America, but that, you know, people from our mother countries can watch and enjoy it. So you kind of want to do it justice. But it was it was really exciting to be able to share our language um, and not have to qualify it and not have to, I don't know, look into the camera and say, we're going to speak Chinese now because we're Chinese, but just do it. Um, and not apologize for it, um, it is another form of empowerment, I think, for for us as a cast. And hopefully, you know, it it leads into other aspects of the industry, other shows, and yeah. 
If there's one thing I can take away from my conversation with Olivia Leong so far, it's that representation matters. And I mean this for all industries, Hollywood, academia, publishing. One thing I really appreciate about IVP is its long history and commitment to publishing voices of color. IVP has intentionally published and pursued authors of color for decades on issues of justice, race, ethnic identity, disability, and other topics that speak to the whole church. And in honor of celebrating the work of incredible Chinese-American women, I'm delighted to tell you about the book Hurting Yet Whole, Reconciling Body and Spirit in Chronic Pain and Illness by Luann Huska. Luann, who went through years of chronic pain, explores what it means to be whole when our bodies suffer. Countering a Gnosticism that pits body against spirit, Luann takes readers on a journey of embracing the fullness of our broken yet beautiful bodies and helps redefine what it means to find healing and wholeness, even in the midst of ongoing pain. You can learn more about Hurting Yet Whole and check out other books by authors of color by visiting ivypress.com backslash voices of color. You'll get 30% off any book plus U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DISRUPT at ivypress.com backslash voices of color. So talking about your mother, um, I had read that she uh, was not always thinking that you could become an actor. I think I think I read that she said, like, oh, it's not going to happen for you. <laughs> so yes. what was that like, you know, pursuing your passion in a way that, um, you know, that has to go against parental expectations as well as societal? Yeah, I think so I got bit by the acting bug when I was quite young and I would periodically ask my mom to let me go to these open calls that you would hear on the radio for Disney Channel. And um, I did eventually end up going to one when I was 10. And then they called after they were like, let's get her in some classes. Like, we like her. And my mom was like, that's a scam. They just want our money. And so, um, <laughs> classic. But um, then there was dance, which was my creative outlet for a while. And then um, my senior year of high school, right as we were getting college acceptances, right as, you know, people are trying to figure out where they want to go and what they want to do. Um, and it's also crazy to tell an 18-year-old that you have to go to college and then pick a major that's going to decide the rest of your life, but that's another conversation. <laughs> um, but I got an agent and they were sending me on commercial auditions and that's where the acting uh, bu uh, bug was reignited because I was like, oh, right, words to express. And so I said to my mom, I don't want to go to college. I would like to pursue a career in acting and dancing. And to an Asian mother, that was her worst nightmare. <laughs> she she literally said, over my dead body. And she said, okay, well, I don't want that. So I guess I'll just go to UCSD. And so I, I ended up going. And my whole career in college was trying to find something that wasn't acting, um, that I could feel fulfilled in. And it wasn't working and it was making me depressed and it was making me not excited about my future and not able to even see a future for myself. Mm -hmm. um, and so my junior year, I, I had to sit her down and have that conversation that um, I really, really want to do this. And I, I hope that you can trust that I am not so delusional that I would pursue this if I didn't think that I could do it. Um, and she finally was like, you're still talking about this. Okay, just do it. And ultimately mm -hmm. she just wanted me to be happy. And 
I understand that from a protective mother, single mother standpoint of, you know, she didn't work this hard for me to be a starving actor. <laughs> um, but I, I'm glad that she gave me the space to pursue it. And um, yeah, but the conversation, and, and, and it was an ongoing conversation. It wasn't like that conversation changed her mind. You know, she would still see me working my four jobs and I could feel the the pain in her heart. Like, oh, my daughter is working so hard and it's nothing's happening for her. And so, you know, do you want to go to law school? I'll help you pay for law school. What about being a nurse? Do you want to do that? And, you know, always ultimately she wanted to see me thrive. So it was just hard for her to see me in those moments of not thriving. And then it really wasn't until I booked the role of legacies that she finally felt like she could let the air out of the balloon and take a, take a breath and um, be like, okay, I think she's going to be okay. And now she takes, uh, takes credit for it all. <laughs> of course. Like, so like Asian. A good Asian mom. Yeah. She's like, you know, Levy, I always knew. I always said. <laughs> Do you, so it sounds like for you acting was a calling, would you say? Totally. I think. And and it's funny that you bring that up because it was actually like at a campus ministry event where the guest speaker was speaking on a calling versus like God's calling for you versus God's will for you and things like that. And that's what really got me thinking about my career and like what my, my quote unquote calling might be. Um, because I don't think a lot of people feel the call to be an actor. Otherwise... I don't know. Society would be at a standstill. No, no one would get anything done. Like it's a very specific um, bug to to get bitten by, um, and so that in itself I I recognize as a calling. Um, and then to separate the will of God from you know your will, I don't know. It it all just started to to make sense to me of like, oh, I I am just a vessel and it doesn't matter where I end up, I can still do the work of God without having to, I don't know, put labels on it or or be in a specific space like that. That can always come out no matter where I am. Um, and that's when I was like, okay, then what do I want with my life? I want to be an actor. Can I do God's will as an actor? Yes, I think I can. So I'm just going to do it. And so that was all inter intertwined with, yeah, the conversation with my mom and, and my calling and, and whatnot. And so how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself in acting um, God's will, God's love in, in your profession? Acting as a profession is such an empathetic um, profession because you have to understand your character, the characters around you who come from different walks of life. You also get to meet so many people who come from different walks of life, from the rest of your cast to um, the crew to writers. And so that in itself is a mission field. I try to approach work as a way for me to um, just love on people. Um, I might be a very, I might be more on the liberal side of, of Christianity and, um, so yeah, to me, I, and not, now I'm going to backtrack, but I took a, a spiritual gifts test uh, in college and my highest was evangelism. And I was like, absolutely not. 
I will never <laughs> just go up to a stranger and be like, have you heard about Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? Like that is completely terrifying to me because that's what I thought evangelism was. And then I looked into evangelism and what it is is actually storytelling. And I was like, oh, I can do that. That's what I want to do. And, you know, so being, um, I guess I, I just hope that I'm a light and that I treat people differently than they feel that they've been treated in this industry, especially I know you're, you've probably read so many horror stories about divas or, or um, set uh, environment and like how toxic some sets can be. And I take immense pride in the fact that every single crew member has told me that this is the nicest show that they've ever worked on, that we're the nicest cast that they've ever worked with, that we don't have any divas. We're not, you know, bullying anyone or seeing anyone beneath us. Um, and so I, I'd like to hope that that's an example that I've set for my castmates and that is bleeding into the rest of um, the the vibes of of our set, of, of our crew. And so that is like the biggest thing that I feel that I can do as a woman of God who is in an industry that um, can be very dark and toxic. And the message, I think, that you tell through your storytelling, whether it's, you know, through Wang Fu, whether it's, uh, you know, through your own projects or even, you know, and Kung Fu, certainly in inspiration, is, um, yeah, the, the kind of positivity. Because I watch it with my whole family. I have girls who, you know, love seeing you. And, and I think that, yeah, having that role model is um, and a positive role model that is loving, that cares about the oppressed. I think all of that is is part of your storytelling, right? Totally. Your 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 yeah. evangelism, and if we think about evangelism in that way, just sharing of God's love through um, yeah, through really great messaging that um, that hopefully will stick with people right longer than um, and have positive effects beyond just kind of like entertainment. Yeah, definitely. Because at the end of the day, it. It's so crazy that a TV show could could shape how you view yourself, but it can, and it can shape how others view you. And so um, it, I, I feel very, very honored that we are a positive show that can um, bring awareness and also empower our community. Yeah, and especially CW, I think, does reach a younger um you know, demographic. And, and I think that, yeah, I'm always, you know, interested in kind of um, YA projects that can, that can have a greater impact on, on young people who are growing up in much more diverse, I think, settings than, um, than, than the people that are in control of Hollywood, you know? So, oh, yeah. um, I mean, would you say that working in Hollywood, even now, even though you're, you know, you're um, blessed to be on a set with so many Asian Americans, would you say that it's still very homogenous and not very diverse? You know, I feel very lucky that I came in at a time that Crazy Rich was coming out and kind of changed the game. Um, so I've seen right before my eyes character breakdowns change, you know, um, they've become so much more specific because there is diversity coming in. Um, it's not just the Asian character. It's they're they're getting, you know, we've got Never Have I Ever. We've got... Um, Aquafina, Nora from Queens, you know, she's representing a half Korean, half Chinese person. And then I've seen breakdowns, you know, Korean American pachinko coming out, right? Um, and then Kung Fu being Chinese American. I'm seeing the diversity happen right before my eyes. I think 
you know, at the very, very, very top, there's still some work to be done. Um, but it's a process and um, it's going to take a, take time, but I feel very, very hopeful um, in the direction that things are going. And um, I'm just glad that that there's a younger generation that um, can believe in themselves in a different way than even my generation felt that felt was possible. So you've been in a couple of fantasy series, right? Um, so uh, if you could choose, um, I guess, another genre, a dream role, what would that be? Oh, I want to be in a rom-com so badly. <laughs> um, my favorite movies are rom-coms. Uh, and at the end of the day, when I've had a long day and I want to watch something to feel good, that's what I'm going to turn on. I'm not going to turn on um, Succession as wonderful as a show that is. It's just high stress or I'm not going to, you know, rewatch The Revenant. I watched Revenant once. I was like, I get it. Take your Oscar. I understand. But... For me to feel good, I want to watch a rom-com. And I would love to see um, more Asian love interests, more leading Asian uh, leading Asians in movies um, to, to show the, you know, the guys as desirable and the girls as more than just, I don't know, comfort women. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, a rom-com would be my dream. I totally see you in a rom-com. <laughs> I mean, I already actually read Kung Fu as a rom-com. <laughs> it kind of is, honestly. We've got a love triangle kind of. Yeah, it's great. So I always ask guests at the end, this is um, this is the disruptors, um, and I and you are obviously disrupting culture and, you know, in a good way, in a positive way. What are some either what are you listening to or reading or watching that you feel like is is disruptive in a positive way that our, our listeners can can get something out of? Ooh, OK. They, this is coming to mind because they just released the trailer for their next season, Pen15. On Hulu. Oh, yes. I cannot believe how brilliant that show is and how that show is talking about so many experiences without ever telling you that they're talking about it. You've just, you watch the episode and then you come out and you're like, why am I crying right now? Why, why did I j just get flashbacks to the first time that someone called me a racial slur, even though that isn't what happened in this episode? So they're doing some really magnificent storytelling on that show. Um, also Dave, Hulu's killing it. Um, Dave on Hulu, that show I think is brilliant. And Christine Coe is on that show. And there is an episode in season two, um, it's called Ad Man. I can't remember what, which one it is. I think it might be six or seven, but oh my goodness. If you are an Asian woman in the workforce, you need to watch that episode because Christine delivered this subtle performance of like what it means to feel um, unseen. And it gives me chills just thinking about it right now.
Nancy, that was such a fun interview. I, I feel so jealous of you. I feel like you became friends with her. <laughs> Did you know her from before? Just from Twitter. I feel like that's like my answer to all the guests. <laughs> I just know them from Twitter. <laughs> and now you get to talk to them. Yes, but she is, um, I mean, she's so cool. She's so honest and vulnerable about, you know, I think yeah. I love that she, when I asked her, like, what motivated you, you know, to kind of, uh, what was your inspiration to be a social justice kind of minded Kung Fu master? And she's like, you know, I that's not me. <laughs> that's, you know, she talked yeah. about it being aspirational rather than, you know, coming so from honest. inner strength. And I love that, actually, because that that just shows actually that just shows what what truly good acting can do. Right. That it is a talent. Yeah. And she's very talented. And I, I mean, I love the show. I felt like it's such a revolutionary show. It's a historic first for the CW, you know, to have an all Asian yeah. cast. And, and to have this kind of redemption of the Kung Fu uh, problematic series that was a yellow face performance. <laughs> totally. And yeah, it's just so exciting. And I think so perfect for, I think, young people to watch today. And she was so gracious about it, too, just really acknowledging that the history, but also like thinking about how to push it forward. And my, you know, my husband and I are big fans of the show, and we, um, we were talking and saying how it's really just a family show. <laughs> like it's, it's not as I mean, the kung fu is awesome. Don't get me wrong, but it's like it's so amazing to see an Asian American family. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's true. I guess I don't see a lot of portrayals of like the whole family and the family dynamic, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, and I think certainly in this genre, this is kind of the the CW is a, is a team YA facing channel, I think, and so to have an Asian American family portrayed just as a normal American family, but also with specific cultural references, like they're in San Francisco's Chinatown, and you know, and they yeah. and and actually the brother is you know a doctor who volunteers in the community center. And I think that it's um, it's very much, and they all have their own lives and personalities and relationships. And so I think that it's really a very, yes, very complex um, Kung Fu series that's beyond just, <laughs> yes, beyond just, there's, well, there's a lot going on, action, fantasy, uh, culture, relationships, even some romance. It's like, it's got it all. Yeah, and, you know, I appreciate your point of view as a pop culture expert, you know, and, um, thinking about how this show really is doing a, a very new thing and a re very redemptive thing. And have you seen the old Kung Fu series? Only bits and pieces. I can't tolerate that stuff, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I, I try, I mean, I watch it for research, but I, I it's not something that, um, I mean, although, you know, it did give some opportunities to early um, Asian actors then. And so I think um, Philip Ahn and Key Luke were a couple of actors that actually appeared there. Yeah. There's stuff in there that, that, you know, it shouldn't be thrown away or banned, but I think that, you know, it's telling that, that such a long series about Kung Fu, about an Asian character was played by a white man. So, um, but you know, it's, yeah. um, this is, this is where we are. But as Olivia said in the interview, we are, we're bet we're in a much better place, and hopefully, you know, this will um, this will change and continue changing so that our television scenes can actually resemble the country that we live in. Remix our colors, let me cover pop songs in a bottle. How we battle all the barriers, right? Some drink, some color their hair every night. Some try to stand out, some try to act white. Found music, but I've never been the stereo type. New eyes break old lies. New skin needs new wine. Thank you for listening to the Disruptors. 
The Disruptors is hosted by me, Nancy Wong Yoon. You can follow me at Nancy W Y U E N. Our theme song is New Eyes by Jason Chu. Our executive producers are Helen Lee and Andrew Bronson. Produced by Richard Clark, Cray Allred, and Myla Kim. <laughs>